Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action helping others and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Tim and Julie Harris Show. We're trying out the name. What do you guys think? Tim and Julie Harris Show, Real Estate Coaching Radio. Give us some suggestions of what we should rename this podcast. I'm going to share with you guys something actually I intended to uh, share with you yesterday, and then my <laughs> my ranting about um, the uh, market sort of took me in a different direction, but I wanted to finish the thought from yesterday. I had a very interesting conversation with um, Tim Ventura, and Tim Ventura is our director of technology. He and I watch all the numbers in the business. And then, you know, he has a little staff that get all the tech stuff done for him. But here's what was interesting. He told our podcast listenership, and this is the reason I'm sharing the story with all of you, our podcast listenership is steadily increasing. And it's increasing not by a little but by a lot, like it's double over this year versus last year, literally tens of thousands of you. And we share the numbers with you guys. But here's what he said, and I think he's right. And I think it's fascinating that he's right. And I want all of you listening to help me to know whether this is right. He thinks that a lot of the people listening now, I mean a good percent, aren't necessarily in the real estate business at all. And I had never considered that. I had never considered the fact that the reason that we're growing so fast is because we're attracting, you know, I assume would be general business types, entrepreneurial types to listen to us. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think he's right. So here's what I'm asking all of you to do because there's really no easy way for us to know who's listening. We we, We assume it's mostly real estate agents, but it's possible that, because we have so many people listening now, it's real estate agents primarily, brokers primarily, people in the real estate industry primarily, but it's very possible that we ventured into the general sales training space. I want those of you who are not in real estate to please consider sending me a quick email and tell me what industry you're in. I've already set up a bucket for those emails, uh, so please just go ahead and email me directly, tim at timandjulieharris.com. If you're not in the real estate business, if you don't have a real estate license, if you're not a broker or an agent, um, I want to know what you do. I want to know who you are. I want to know, you know what, it would be also wonderful if you could tell us, why do you listen? What is it you're getting from this? And from that information, we'll know where we need to probably drill down and, and maybe do a little bit better job. Because the truth is, in real estate, to be a successful real estate practitioner is the same as being a successful virtually anything else. Obviously, the skill set's different. Um, but everything else is the same. I don't. There's been so many people in history that have said this, and I kind of try to you know condense a lot of long-winded quotes into something simple. But here's something that is about sales, and that's what we focus on, obviously, on this podcast. Really, the essence of it is that there there never has been and never will be anybody, man or woman, that earns more money than a salesperson. Salespeople have been the glue of society since forever. Um, and that's the reason they make the most amount of money. Now, you think salespeople might just be you know, the guy who identifies himself, who says sales representative on his name tag or whatever. But the fact is, is anybody who's ever been successful has to have been a good salesperson. Everybody, even people you would naturally think of being a great salesperson, like think of Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg forever, or for example. Okay? He's a great salesperson. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to get all those people to follow him and believe in, and believe in his product. And all, the whole thing, everything he's done is because he is great at sales. 
A great surgeon is great at sales because he has to talk people into doing procedures. A great accountant is great at sales. Yes, an accountant. Otherwise, he wouldn't have any clients. Now, you, you could argue that, well, he could work in an accountancy and never have to do solicitations himself. And I'll say you're right, and that's probably the reason that he's not doing very well because he'd be working for somebody else versus on his own. But for those of you who own your own businesses, or you could even be corporate entrepreneurs. That's where, in essence, you are working inside of a corporation, and you still are basically having all the you sort of have a structured entrepreneurial environment where you can basically uh, do your own uh, investigations and your own expression of uh, entrepreneurialism underneath someone else's circus tent. That counts too. So listen, guys, help me to uh, make this show better. Julie and I really want to take this to the next level. It seems like it's going to the next level without us really having paid much attention to that fact, which is very, <laughs> frankly, Tim and Julie. I mean, we've never really we sold 100 houses our first year. We didn't know we sold 100 houses our first year until the year, until it was like this time, you know, August, September, and we started adding them up. Um, we didn't intend to get into the coaching business. The coaching business just sort of came to us. We didn't know the book would be a number one international bestseller. We didn't know our business would grow. We didn't, we didn't really, we had a dream of, you know, accomplishing a certain thing. Uh, as you know, having a certain number of rental properties, those are things we definitely had drilled down focus on. But all these other things were the side stream benefits of us moving towards this bigger goal of being rich where our money worked for us and we no longer had to work for our money. And I think, I suspect, that's the message that's resonating with all of you, whether you're in the industry or not, more than anything, is because you want to get it to the point where you, are, you know, you're seeing your business for what it is. It's probably never going to be sold. No one ever will put value on it. It's an ATM machine uh, for you to produce wealth for yourself and for your family and possibly generationally. That's really what the traditional way of treating a business is, of thinking of a business. And obviously, if you're, produce, if you're providing a great service or a great product and you're doing it to enough people, you're going to have success and opportunities in abundance. And if you're not experiencing financial abundance in your life at every level, it's because you're not earning it. You're not providing enough other people with something that they put value on uh, at such a level that you are rich. I, I don't know if you guys have ever considered that, but the real reason that somebody might have a Ferrari or a big house or whatever isn't because they have done anything wrong. It's because they figured out, yes, how to work harder, that's for sure. Maybe they work a lot harder, that's possible. But the other reason is, is because they're doing something that lots of other people are willing to put value on, thus they're willing to pay for whatever that person is selling or you know, producing, right? It makes sense, doesn't it? So I want you guys to help me make this show better. Please send us an email, tim at timandjulieharris.com. If you're not in the real estate business, don't have a real estate license, and tell me what it is that you do so Julie and I can do a better job with the content going forward. All right, Julie, um, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday, and uh, I forget how many. What was this? 17 points? No, 14 points. 14. And what every old realtor wishes they would have done differently. Do you have anyone you'd like to acknowledge or say hello to or thank or anyone from our, pod, or from sure. our private well, Facebook group? Anything a, like that? Yep. There's an awful lot of brand-new members, and I just wanted to give a collective shout-out because many of them posted their very first posts on the private Facebook page, just simply introducing huh. themselves. Uh, but also, Lisa Ann Rush has a beautiful new listing. She works in Las Vegas, and she, she posted it as an example of the results she got by doing what she didn't want to do when she didn't want to do it at the highest level, scored her this fantastic new listing, and, of course, people that she will be helping out at the highest level. So nice job to Lisa Ann Rush in Vegas. And then I just wanted to let everybody know there's a lot of great pictures from the event from last weekend. They can peruse through there. And I think it's streaming there somewhere as well, but you would know better than I. And that's all I've got from the Facebook group. 
yeah, they and uh, it is streaming, and it's going to be even more streaming. Our uh, our uh, tech people are hard at work splicing all the videos up and ah, making the whole day's worth of content into shorter, easier to consume information. If you guys did not watch the, it turned out to be a two-hour-long interview I did with Brian Holiday, um, author of you know five great books. Ego is the enemy is the one we focused on, and also on stoicism that kind of crept in randomly. You really should be listening to that interview. The, and actually, Julie, I'm teeing you up for your next question or your next point. Um, yes. So, Julie, why don't you read the point? <laughs> yeah, good yeah. segue. I'll shut up. Speaking of that, point number seven, and again, this is things that every old realtor wishes they would have done differently. Point number seven, that they should have not, they should not have allowed their egos to be seduced into nonprofit-driven decisions. Not that that ever happens every practical day in your email and different offers that are supposed to be the best thing ever. Seduced by pretty shiny things and ego-driven decisions versus profit-driven decisions. And you did have a fantastic discussion with Ryan, and I hope they're all able to catch that and read his book about ego. It, I, I liked that because it went so much more, it went a lot deeper and more practical than what I've heard anybody else talk about ego. You know, the, what you were asking, his answers, your back and forth, I think that was very uh, applicable to everyone listening, whether they're in real estate or not. Is the decision I'm making right now on this particular thing ego-driven or is it a necessity? Is it profit-driven? Putting it through that filter. So that's point number seven. Point number eight. I have nothing to add they to should that. Have, and thank you for okay. the compliment. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. I thought it was awesome. So uh, point number eight, old realtor decisions, things they would have done differently, that they should have dumped the losers faster and doubled down on the winners regarding many things, staff, rental property, you know, focusing on what you're winning at and dumping what you're losing at faster. Now, that requires that you be introspective and that you figure out what is winning and what's losing and not doing the same things over and over if they're not working anymore. That is, after all, the definition of insanity. Anything but, you'd like to add to talk, that? But, yeah. Yeah, but let's talk about that because that's incredibly difficult because I remember when you and I sold real estate, Julie and I started selling real estate in the 90s, and back then we started selling real estate before there was an internet. Okay, that makes us sound like a billion years old to some of you. Well, maybe we are. Okay, I know. So there it is. But I remember there used to be these home magazines, and some markets these are still important. In Hawaii, I know it's still important. Um, and these home magazines were really expensive. I mean, a page would be like one page where you could put maybe six or ten houses was like a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks. And there was like an arms war going on between agents and brokerages and who has the most ads. And then, of course, the inside cover was going to be twenty five hundred dollars and the back cover and all this other shit. And uh, yeah, we got suckered into it because Julie and I were one of the top producing agents in the whole market. We were one of the top Remax agents at the time in Columbus, Ohio, and you know we had this reputation to maintain, and we had to sell more houses than everyone else. And remember, we had built our business not on marketing at all. We'd built our business on you know doing the proactive lead generation. And then as we started to um, grow our business, as we started, we started to focus more on transactions. We started to focus on more units. And we started listening to people who we thought knew better than us. We started listening to people who were – you had these big teams. This was back before you guys – the teams thing was really not even prevalent at all in the industry at all. This was way before Gary Keller's book, okay? Gary Keller got his ideas from Howard Britton, Howard Britton people who basically had formed these teams on their own. That's the genesis of all this. There was nothing created in the book. He was just reporting on something that already happened, for those of you who don't know. And he did a great job of it. I'm not criticizing, just stating a fact. So here's the reality of it all. 
the teams themselves, Julie and I started, okay, you want to hire this many buyer's agents, and you want to have this person doing league coordination. You want to have this, da, 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 da. And so we, we did it. And here's what happened, and I'll never forget this. We had our accountant over. He, I told the story before, but it's important you guys remember this. So you know we're not full of shit. We've been there, done that. So we were always running 50, 60, 70% profit margins in our business. And then the accountant came over. This was like two years after we started our team. And we thought we had pictures taken with our team. We had, I think we had seven or eight buyer's agents. We got everybody matching polo shirts. We had like three Suburbans with our name on the side and our URL. We had we were one of the first agents in Columbus to have their own website. We had a moving truck with our name on the side before anybody knew about moving trucks. Okay, so all this stuff we did all of it. And then he came over. He was not emotional. He went through the numbers, showed this is the other thing. This is how much money you guys earned this year. We had actually increased our volume, uh, our volume number of homes sold, even dollar volume of homes sold, by like three times. But our net was less than the first year when we sold real estate, when we were doing proactively generation. So outwardly, Tim and Julie were unbelievable. They weren't just rock stars. They were rock stars with a huge band. You know what I'm saying? And uh, we were making less net profit. We were making less net profit with having all that staff, with following all those people that told us this is the way you do it, with not having the smarts at the time to know how to basically ask the right questions. And you know what? At that point, it took us about another six or seven months until we get, got rid of all of the whole team, and we just focused on listings again, and our profits went through the roof. Now, I should have been smarter than what I was just to follow blindly a bunch of real estate people, assuming that they knew what they were talking about. I shouldn't have done that. I was stupid to do that. And frankly, so are you if you're, not following, if you're following blindly thinking that's going to lead to, the, lead to profits. Okay, that's a little harsh, I realize, but I'm being self-critical here, and hopefully I'm giving you guys permission to be self-critical of yourselves. A lot of you are following these models out of ego because you want to look a certain way. That was part and parcel why we did it. I fully admit it. And then when and I look back in retrospect, it was so stupid, you know, because we worked – we didn't – so we weren't necessarily working with directly with as many buyers or sellers as we had because we delegated it all. Ooh, you know, we delegated all the customer work. But we ended up basically spending as much, if not more, time working with the staff and the team to try to get them to perform so that we could make payroll, so we could pay for the marketing, so we could do all the other things that we had obligated ourselves to to keep this thing alive. And I have, and Julie and I had this little meeting with the accountant, and he said you made less money than you did your first year, where you guys basically were just doing it by yourselves, uh, you know, going after doing proactively generation with no team, and versus this year where you're getting all these awards and plaques, and people were just basically gushing all over us and all the rest of it. And that's all he said. And I remember Julie and I, we didn't even talk about it. It was like maybe a month or two. And then we said, do you want to talk about what Fred said? Because <laughs> we had so much ego attachment to having this staff, to looking important, to feeling like we had accomplished something, to making it because people looked at it. You guys understand it was all ego. It had nothing to do with nothing. And we probably weren't even, I mean, in retrospect, we weren't even saving as, as much money. We weren't, we weren't actually, we moved away from what our original goal was. We knew our original goal was to own rental properties and to be rich where the rental properties we paid off, where we could live off the positive cash flow. But when we ventured down this ego path, we forgot about that goal because we started telling ourselves the same lie that you're telling yourselves now. With enough volume, you'll have money left over to save. With enough cash flow, you'll have money left over to save. Oh, and here's the other big lie. Someone's going to buy my team. Someone will buy my brokerage. Guys, they don't, they're not worth anything. 
nobody's going to buy it. And if they're going to buy it, you might as well not sell it. I mean, we can talk more about that, but do your own homework. We've done shows about that before. The only value, most of you, even if you're not in the industry, most of you, the only business, the only value you're ever going to pull out of your business is the cash flow you pull out of your business. If you're not making a positive net profit out of your business, you're just basically, you've got yourself a nice little job. Now, that's the fact. Those are just some, that's just right between the eyes fact. So you have to ask yourself. And I understand some of you are not in this business, and I'm not being snarky when I say this. I'm being, I say this sincerely. It took me a long time to come to this, accept, accept this reality, but it's true. A lot of you are in this business not to make, not to be rich. A lot of you are in this business because you like the ego satisfaction more than you like the potential profit in reinvesting it and becoming rich. I believe that's true. As a matter of fact, I'll go as far as to say 90% of the people in the real estate industry that have these big teams are more motivated by the big team and all the stuff that comes from that from an ego perspective than they are big profits and then reinvesting that money in things that will make them rich. And I can't judge that. That's not how I think or Julie thinks. And that's not how, frankly, a lot of people that are attracted to us think. It's, a lot ha it's how a lot of them thought. And I just told you guys, we had made that mistake too. They thought that. But here's what happens. When the economy starts to change, when the housing market starts to slow down, all of you guys that don't even know what really your margins are, are going to find yourselves with serious cash flow problems. And that's when you're going to call us. And this is what you're going to ask us. How do I fire my staff without basically losing my identity or my brand? So your ego is going to try to rationalize you absolutely driving yourself into the ground financially for fear of giving up that ego identity to the team. You guys get it? You understand? Please at least mentally think about what I'm saying. And ask yourself where you want to be in 12 months, in 24 months, in five years. Ask yourself if you just want to basically be the person that had this big team but it's got nothing to show. No one, it, you have nothing to show for it. Go back in 2006 and 07 and look, do your own homework and find out who the top agents were in your marketplace with the biggest teams, with the big you know, flashy egos and all the rest of it, and find out what happened to them during the recession. Almost all of them went out of business, or a good number of them did, or suffered needlessly. Some of them have rebuilt. Some of them never have come back. That's where we are now, to a lesser extent, depending on your market and obviously market fluctuations. And there's no national market, and I can throw all those disclaimers out there, but hopefully you guys can intellectually understand what I'm saying. Julie, does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does make sense. So I appreciate you sharing all that. I hope that they're uh, digesting correctly on all this. So this next point is one of my favorites, and I do want you to tell the quick story about the bicycle we bought from Jesse James because I think that this really illustrates huh. the point. The point number nine, that booms and busts in their own personal economies are actually optional. You don't have to participate in what the rest of the market is doing. So I'll turn that over to you for a good example of that. Back in the height of the recession, this was back in 2008 probably, um, you know, when everyone was literally basically, you know, the whole socialist mindset about housing was really kicking in. There should be no, I mean, people were talking about there should be no private property. There should, the government should seize housing. The houses that are going back that are, all this crazy stuff you know, the days of owning a house are over. People were writing these big, long analytical reports on how everyone would be better off renting and how all this crazy stuff would happen. So people were just – it was a feeding frenzy down the dark hole 
of the housing recession, which I think historically, maybe 25 years from now, they'll actually have called it a depression, and maybe we're still in it, by the way. Who knows? But the moral of the story was is that everyone was basically saying it was the worst time ever, and yet Julie and I knew coaching clients that were making a fortune, and we knew people that were making a fortune, and we were doing quite well. And so the, even though everywhere you'd look, uh, people were talking about doom and gloom, and I mean in the worst way. Some of you remember this. Even if you weren't in the industry, you'll remember it. It was horrible, but in the real estate industry, it was really horrible. Just the worst. I hope we never have to go through that again. It was incredibly sad. We collectively, not just Julie and I. Okay, so I remember thinking to myself as I came to the, as I realized that a, re, that a recession or a depression does not have a universal one effect, that it has differing effects on some people. And then I started realizing the money was still flowing. It was just flowing to different people. It was flowing to different people with different skill sets. It was flowing to different you know types of businesses. So there was no less uh, lack of opportunity. In the, uh, for people to make money, it's just the skill set they had to have had to be uh, uh, essentially in demand in a market that we were in back then. And by the way, the market that we're similar to what we're going into now. So the people that were making the money, for the most part, weren't making it during the crash or even during the recovery, up till about 2011 until it came to seller's market again. Okay, so that same thing is going to happen, though I hope and pray not to the same uh, you know, downside, it's going to happen now. Conceptually, are you with me? So Julie and I came across uh, Jesse James, who you guys know as a bike builder, had a, um, an Elgin boys bike from 1933 for sale. Um, and I, I sort of casually knew him, and I heard about this bike that he had for sale. One of his, his shop foremen had restored it and it basically won some bike shows and, uh, you know, Julie and I like to collect uh, old antiques, things like that. We have old gas pumps and things like that. Not a lot. We're not like, you know, Pickers isn't coming hoarders. to our door anytime soon, but you guys get the idea. We're not hoarders. Though I can't rule it out that someday we will be. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, this bike was for sale. It was a um, beautiful, very rare boys' Elgin bike. It has little, you know, gas tanks and all these little endorments. And the reason that we bought it wasn't because we needed a little boy. It was actually a big boy's bike. The reason that we didn't, we wanted it wasn't because we needed a bike. It was because the bike was made, and it was in 1933 or 1932. So that bike was made originally during the time of the Great Depression. And that had a real effect on me and Julie because we realized that here it was during the time that historically people, you know, you have images of it in your head, soup lines and, you know, basically people have just, you know, the whole thing, the Great Depression, which lasted a long damn time, you know, horrible, horrible. And yet here it was that somebody had earned enough money to buy this beautiful bike, you know, for his son. You know, it was that time of the, you know, probably it was a man buying it for a son, right? That is what it is. And that stuck with me. This is even before we had any kids, right? That stuck with me because I realized that despite the fact that we were at the height of that, you know, the, or not even at the height, it was like the middle of the Depression, right, where the Depression started, 1929. So despite all of that, here it was, somebody was earning money, somebody was being really successful, the Elgin Bike Company was being successful, they had figured out basically to sell these really beautiful, intricate, you know, bikes and whatnot to people who could afford them, and so even though all the news was going on everywhere about the skies falling, the world's coming to an end, this guy decided to buy this beautiful bike for his kid. I think that's really beautiful. And it was a great reminder, so much so that we bought it from Jesse, 
And um, that's a totally different story that I'll maybe share with you guys one day. And then we put it up on our wall, and it's there to this day. It literally, we see it every day. It's a great reminder that money still has to be made no matter what's going on in the economy. You know, we should get a picture of that and post it, Julie. I think they'd like to see it. Good idea. We'll do it. Yeah. Next point. Okay. So uh, points that every old agent wishes they would have done differently, that they, would, that they spent too much time worrying about silly stuff that didn't lead to profit. Team culture and branding and likes and follows and all of these things. Too much time worrying about the silly stuff. Not enough time worrying about profitable items. What would you like to add to that? Oh, I just was thinking about the Ryan. I was just thinking. Oh, I know, but I was just thinking about the Ryan interview when he and I were joking about the yeah. fact that the only people that used to brag about their followers were cult leaders. I know that was so funny. That's so true too. <laughs> That's so true. And though. now I guess everyone's guys, got their own cult listen, or something. Listen, I don't know. Do you get how crazy it is? Now people brag about how many. How many? I don't even know how many followers we have. I could care less, to be honest. That's how. I just, it doesn't matter. I don't focus on that. I just focus on making sure we're doing a good job and then the followers follow. But it's so funny for people that, you know, it wasn't just 10 years ago maybe that a follower was somebody that a cult leader was, you know, <laughs> I don't know. just seems silly Keeps it in man. perspective. Anyway, though. sorry. Yeah, it is. Yes. So point number 11, then I've got to go off to Premier Coaching. Point number 11, that they didn't, uh, that they didn't have to spend so much on their kids' education. I think that that point is even more valid now, considering all of the different options of education. And, you know, we put ourselves in that category, dealing with future education for our kid. But I have spoken. I know you've had a lot of coaching calls with agents that are down the pipeline, realizing they didn't have to kill themselves just to pay for their kids' education. Because that, that, I think, is also an ego point. But I'll leave you with that, and uh, I'm off to premiere. Actually, no, Julie, I know you have four minutes to get on the call, but before you bounce, can you tell the story about your coaching client who basically is doing exactly what you just said and the kid doesn't even necessarily need to go to college? Could you just tell that story really quick? Yeah, well, one of my own uh, coaching clients, you know, fresh graduate from high school, her son is, and he wanted to go uh, to school out in California. They're from the East Coast. He wants to go to school in California. Basically, the plane lands, and because he has such a great technical background and did have a really, I mean, if we're being honest, a pretty kick-ass high school education, um, got a job right away, which probably could take him to the end zone, if not, at the least, be a killer resume builder, but still, you know, wants him to finish college, and I get that. There's a lot involved in that conversation. Well, no, no, no. Um, Say it like you said to me, sister. It's an option, though. Say it like you said to me. Well, she, her wanting him to finish college was more about a reflection well, it's of a her thing ego. For her. It's probably more important right. to her than to him. And, you know, I, I think that that's better than perhaps graduating with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. I respect that. But is it a necessity in today's day and age? Maybe for some, but probably not for most. And I think as things progress with online education and all of the other options that people have, not the least of which is a, quote, real job, I think this is something right. to consider. You, you know, um, well, what could you be putting in your own bank account that will then serve other needs, including doing cool stuff with your family, if you weren't putting it away for all the education stuff? So well, that, so that is a good point, and it's, it's very interesting. A lot of us – thank you, Julie. A lot of us have um, – when we were growing up, so Julie and I are in our 40s, we were right on the tail end of what I think was the, the idea that 
uh, a college degree was necessary to basically be successful in life. I think we're right on the edge of that. And I think soon as basically the first tech boom kicked in and there started to be a new, uh, you know, people started realizing that, hey, maybe college is optional. But what happened is, is that college really has become optional because for the mo- unless you're getting a prof- on a professional path, doctor, that type of thing, there really is not a need for an undergraduate education. It used to be that an undergraduate education was supposed to design – it was designed to help you think so you could see things in a perspective that would not allow you to necessarily – you know, basically, you're, it was supposed to expand your thinking and help you to learn it, the liber, typical liberal arts education. Okay, so you guys know hopefully what I'm talking about. But what's happened is, for the mm-hmm. most part, colleges and universities around the you know un, United States have essentially been corrupted. And now I know, guys, I'm going to sound like Ben Shapiro, but you do your own homework on this. College education. I get emails from my nephew, and he tells me what they talked about in their different classes. Class called history isn't really history; it's something else. A class called that's supposed to be about this topic isn't on this topic. He had at the Florida State University where he's going to a year in, for a year, and then he might go to Stanford. He was telling me about how many orientations he had on the proper use of pronouns. I mean, this is the type of stuff that's happening that you're paying for. And I and, and you know Ethan's no exception. He probably doesn't even know to go to college because the kid's brilliant and knows how to do a lot of computer stuff and probably can get a job right away when he goes out to California. The point is, how many of you right now who are listening are absolutely positively suffering, at, taking away from your potential future to pay for a college education for a kid who you love and all the rest of it, but that education isn't what you think. It isn't what it was. It isn't what's needed nowadays. Yes, I know you can make arguments for the need for a degree, and if you don't have a degree, it's not necessarily you're not necessarily going to have the same number of opportunities, and people will, you know, okay, guess what? I didn't graduate from college. I went to four schools, but I didn't graduate from college. Neither did Julie, and many of you didn't either. So there's lots of ways that people can be successful without getting a college degree. What it delivered in the past is not what it delivers now, um, and when you are sacrificing to the point where you're not saving money and you're not basically living your own personal life for with the idea that you need to pay for this kid's education, I, I need you to at least consider the fact that you're basing that decision on old thinking where we're based on old rules. And maybe the kid doesn't need to go to school. And if the kid does go to school and you are paying for it, what's that degree worth? What is it really worth in the marketplace? Why not look at education for what it is? Because at the end of the day, it is a financial transaction. If you don't believe me and they have to borrow student loans, uh, borrow money from student loans, you know that those student lo- that student loan debt cannot be uh, written off in a bankruptcy. Did you know that? Did you know that student loans are one of those things like taxes that you can never, ever get rid of? So if, that, if we are afraid to say a college education has to be uh, quantifiable as far as the, what the return on that investment is going to be. If we can't treat it that way, then we shouldn't be paying for it anymore. It doesn't make sense. It just literally doesn't make sense. You would be better off if you taught the kid how to invest in real estate, if you taught the kid how to sell real estate, or taught the kid how to do something that was practical that was going to put them in the way of making money. And all the things that they didn't learn from their liberal arts education probably didn't need to be learned in the first place probably wasn't necessary and you just saved them from having to pay for you know pay off the student loan debt forever and ever and where is this coming from because you know look we Julian have already saved for Zoe's college education she's completely paid for she's only five okay so I'm thinking like you guys are thinking but I'm not sure it was the right thought and and if when we have coaching calls and I talk with you on the phone 
and I'm hearing you say that I'm putting all this money towards my college education for my kid, but I'm not funding my retirement account, but I've not gone on a vacation forever. I've not done all these other things. I'm going to ask you this question. Why? What's the point? And you're going to say something like, well, my parents paid for my education. Or you're going to say something like, well, I want to make sure my kid's got a better position in life than I did. You're going to say all these other things. Then I'm going to ask you, okay, what's that? Is the kid a brilliant math genius or a computer genius? What's this kid going to do? Well, they're probably going to go to school and get a women's studies degree or a degree in history or a degree in music, or a degree in doesn't matter what, then I'm going to ask this question, and you will probably take it offensively. I'm going to ask, okay, what is that kid going to do? You've now had this great education for this kid. You've now paid for it. You're proud of yourself. You've got the graduation ceremony pictures you can post on Facebook. Now what's that kid going to do with that degree that you basically just sacrificed not just your past but your future for? What have you actually helped that kid to do? They have a useless degree. That's what happens. That's what's happened. The, the relationship the, the arrangement that used to be societal between college and future advancement doesn't exist anymore. You guys got, have to see it for what it is. So there's a belaboring of a point that I wasn't planning on belaboring, but hopefully some of you benefited from it. If one of you benefited from it, then I'm glad I did it. In the meantime, guys, please do consider sending me an email, tim at timandjulieharris.com. If you're not in the real estate industry, tell me what industry you're in and uh, tell me uh, why you listen to the show. It could just be something funny. It doesn't matter. But that will help us to do better with producing future content. Uh, in the meantime, guys, if any of you need us for anything, if you need a free coaching call, just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, always, Tim at timandjulieharris.com or Julie at timandjulieharris.com. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.